Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Emotional intelligence impacts workplace performance, leadership, effectiveness, retention, engagement, sales, customer service, resilience, and teamwork. All outcomes that organizations are continually striving to hire for and to develop. It is a measurement of our ability to recognize, respond to, and cope with emotions. While traditional corporate training programs tend to focus on hard skills, teaching employees emotional intelligence is equally important. A recent report published by the Capgemini Research Institute suggested that it wasn't only teams and individuals who benefit from developing a greater capacity for emotional intelligence. Research conducted for the report found that, on average, 60% of the surveyed organisations realised significant benefits by having employees who display high EI. Hey, this is Bill Bannum, host of this episode of the HR Chat Show, and my guest today is Debbie Mano, Managing Director at Genos North America. A formal EI education led Debbie in 2006 to the role as an authorised distributor and master trainer for Genos International, in which she works with coaches, consultants and trainers, organisational development specialists, HR pros, corporate trainers and business owners, advancing emotional intelligence inside of their client companies and organisations. Debbie, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the HR Chat Show today. Bill, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So beyond my weird introduction there, Debbie, why don't you start by talking a bit about yourself, tell, telling our listeners about your career background and how maybe some of your, your colleagues uh, with and maybe without the tools to utilize their emotional intelligence have impacted your career. Boy, that's such a big question. Uh, thank you for asking. I, uh, I have probably, as most people do, you know, an interesting pathway to get to where I am today. I, I'm not sure, Bill, that uh, I don't know, maybe this is true for you. It is certainly not for me. Um, I did not, when I was looking to go to university, say, geez, when I grow up, I think I'm going to end up, you know, representing an emotional intelligence organization. <laughs> so it's it's always an interesting path what, what life puts in front of you. There were a couple things that I knew about myself very early on that I think helped me land where I am. Um, number one, I was the kid who was always in trouble in school for talking excessively during class. So not a shock that when I had an opportunity to go through my very first personality assessment that I scored pretty high on the extroversion scale. <laughs> that was pretty apparent early on. Uh, I was a, a competitive athlete when I was younger, and so I had some interest in getting into sports medicine. Uh, unfortunately, my math skills didn't keep up with that interest. Uh, and so I really ended up going to university and getting into journalism and broadcast journalism because I figured I'm an extrovert. I like people. I like to talk about interesting things. Maybe this can be a career path. And when I finished uh, school, that certainly turned out not to be the appropriate direction for me. Now, I had a little bit of insight into wanting to do that when I was younger because I had this amazing opportunity as an elementary school kid, uh, sixth grade through ninth grade, 
elementary and middle school, um, to host a children's television show. And that was just an amazing experience. I met so many fascinating people. I saw what happened behind the camera. I had a chance to be on the camera. I was a little kid in a very adult world. And looking back on it, that gave me some insight into some public speaking skills for sure. But it certainly gave me an insight into the pressurized world of work and the power of relationships at work. Now, I wouldn't have described it like that as a young kid. But when you're on air talent, typically you're reading from a teleprompter. It's a really good idea to have a really solid connection with the person who runs that teleprompter so that you can learn each other's idiosyncrasies, my speaking patterns, how quickly they moved, where did I like to typically pause? This is just stuff that we did. But boy, it all came down to this power of connecting with people. That was behind the scenes and that was in, in front of the camera. And, and that largely drew that choice uh, or influenced that choice for broadcast journalism. I would have loved to have been Katie Couric. Um, obviously, that's not where you start when you when you graduate from university. And so I ended up getting a job as a public speaker. And I started to really find my groove. And so I was doing some speaking for a local career college where I grew up uh, and where I lived. That moved into kind of a sales role. In that sales role, uh, I found some success. And I learned that you could use assessments when I began to be promoted into management, that you could use assessments to hire people that would have a better chance of being successful in that job. And when I took my own assessment, again, learning things about myself that I was pretty extroverted, that I certainly was stronger in words more than numbers, um, that I was pretty positive. So I used an instrument to, to hire my staff, and it was really wildly successful. And when I left that position, I left that position after nine years to start my own assessment distributorship. Again, I don't think anybody in high school says, geez, when I'm in my 30s, I'm going to have an assessment distributorship. But for years, I got a chance to help people with hiring systems. So we worked with organizations and helping them to just add another objective piece of science to their selection processes just to give them and their candidates, because it's a two-sided thing, to give them the best opportunity to make the most informed hiring decision. And as a candidate, you know, you might not think about it at the time, but if you don't get selected for a position, partly, in part, because maybe it wasn't the right fit for you, ultimately, that's really doing you a service. And when you do get the great pleasure to fall into a role that you are a great fit for, that's really doing the organization and the individual a great service. And after doing that for, oh, about 20 years, uh, I found myself, um, after all of those years, constantly answering questions that all revolved around emotional intelligence. We didn't have a measurement for that at that time in my professional uh, process. Uh, but looking back again, it was prominent and prevalent 
in almost every discussion that we had around selection at the time I was only working with um, hiring in selection processes. And so I had this fabulous opportunity along with Jeff in 2016 to really take all of those years of assessment knowledge and psychometric knowledge and be connected to Genos International and really bring these emotional intelligence assessments and emotional intelligence training programs and really um, grow that awareness here in North America. And so that is far from a straight line. I'm, I'm very um, envious of some of my friends and colleagues, Bill, who, you know, at a very young age, my nephew is a good case. At a very young age, he knew he wanted to be an aerospace engineer and I'm talking about five or six years old. He's now gonna be 25 and he's an aerospace engineer. Uh, I love that straight line. Mine is got a couple loops, definitely some twirls. I was a gymnast, so there are a couple flips in that line as well. But uh, I gotta tell you, I'm really happy that I, I landed where I landed. We, we do very interesting, impactful work. Genos was uh, formed, Genos North America was formed to focus on growing and supporting the presence of, of Genos, the certified Genos emotional intelligence, intelligence practitioner community and the clients specifically in, in the US and Canada, of course. Um, I wonder, is, is, is EQ or emotional intelligence, is that something that can be taught or developed? Yeah, we're talking nature versus nurture here. Are some of us more inherently um, emotionally intelligent than others? What, what, what's your take? Yeah, I love this question. Uh, I'm going to answer you in the way that we work around emotional intelligence, because what we're looking at, Bill, is emotional intelligence in terms of demonstrated emotional intelligence. In other words, observable behaviors or what you and I might in this conversation refer to as like, how do people show up? What do they say? How do they talk to each other? Now, that's different from something like um, an emotional quotient which is kind of a number, a fixed number. Um, we aren't looking at the ability, what can someone do? Um, what do they have the potential of doing? Rather, what, what we're really interested in work with is what do they do? How do they show up? And that's what's so exciting about this, because when you're talking about observable behaviors, then the resounding answer to your question is absolutely you bet. These are behaviors that we can look at like skills, and indeed they can be developed. In fact, the research shows that you can grow your demonstrated emotional intelligence in the neighborhood of like 15, 17, 20%, which is huge. Um, and so while some people, Bill, are born with, to your point, nature and nurture, some people are just born with a little bit more of that skill set naturally. Um, so, uh, I'll think about Simone Biles. I was a gymnast. We can say safely that Simone was born with a little bit more of that natural ability than I was, but the fact remains that we can still lift those skills. And when we talk about, uh, emotional intelligence, that's, what's exciting because it's not a fixed point. Once we know where we are, then we can have a plan to where we want to grow. It's kind of like, Bill, if you've ever gone and worked out with a trainer, one of the first things that you do is they'll have you go through a circuit. How many push-ups can you do? How many sit-ups can you do? How many chin-ups can you do? How long can you hold a plank? And then there's a workout scheme that's crafted around where your skill set is when you start. And if you've ever had the great experience of doing something like that, you'll know that 90 days later, 120 days later, 
they'll put you through that same circuit again. And it's staggering how you can do more push-ups and more sit-ups and more chin-ups and hold those planks longer. That's really what we're doing. We're measuring where, where are our skills and then putting forth kind of a prescriptive plan to grow those skills to be able to demonstrate them more frequently and to a higher degree. And, and of course, that results in a, in a higher yield for the people around them, for their organizations, and of course, for them personally. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay, then um, next question. I'm going to challenge you to answer in 60 seconds or less, because sometimes I do that. I like to mix things up. <laughs> uh, does emotional intelligence impact well-being, Debbie? And if so, how? Yeah. And this is really powerful. The research shows us that there really is a direct correlation between lifting your demonstration of emotional intelligence and your well-being. So we know that people who have higher levels of demonstrated emotional intelligence, number one, experience less occupational stress. Who doesn't want that? Uh, number two, people with lifted demonstration emotional intelligence are more resilient by the way, one of the biggest asks over the last two and a half years with COVID is to enhance the resilience of the workforce. So emotional intelligence is certainly a way to do that. People with lifted levels of emotional intelligence have stronger mindfulness. People with lifted levels of emotional intelligence have higher job satisfaction, uh, increased workplace performance, and an overall sense of enhanced well-being. So there is a direct link there. When you focus on lifting the eye, you are either intentionally or unintentionally impacting the humanness, the well-being of those human beings. Nicely done. Definitely under 60 seconds. Good work. Okay, so uh, here's a long question for you, uh, but an important one, I think. Um, so the, the Capgemini Research Institute report, which I mentioned in the introduction there, it, it aimed to quantify the benefits of higher EQ in the workplace, Debbie. Uh, taking a conservative approach, it assumed that 10% of benefits from the survey results would translate into an actual return for organizations, leading to an incremental gain of $6.7 million. Uh, this, the report said, would amount to a return of up to 2.2 times the investment made, i.e. an annualized return of up to 29%. And in other projections, uh, that return was, was even higher, up to 4.3 times the investment made, in fact. Talk to me now a little bit about some of the benefits to the bottom line of an organization uh, that, that employees and teams see following the, the implementation of, of GenOS programs within organizations. Yeah, this is where we get into this beautiful acronym of the ROI of EI, right? Um, I don't know if I can make that go to old McDonald's theme song, but there really is this huge return on investment of investing in emotional intelligence. And that return bill is um, dual-sided, right? So on the one hand, organizations who invest in emotional intelligence um, have increases in workplace performance for those employees who've gone through those programs. And at the end of the day, even if I stopped there, that's a huge benefit, right? Organizations are just wanting individuals to optimize their performance in the role in which they play for their companies. So when you lift EI, we know that there's a, that there's a correlation people with stronger levels of demonstrated emotional intelligence will simply perform better in the workplace. Now that extends even further though. We get higher levels of leadership effectiveness. So leadership is an interesting role, right? Because it's so, it's such an influencer. It's not a contributor doing their singular part, but rather 
the team leader, the cohesiveness of that team or of that department is so heavily influenced by that leader. So if you lift the leadership effectiveness, you're lifting that effectiveness all the way through that team. Um, we also see stronger impacts in sales, higher um, sales performance, not only in dollars and cents, which is one of the ways that sales is always measured, but in terms of the relationships, salespeople who have stronger levels of emotional intelligence will make more authentic connections with their prospects, with their clients, and with their territories and their communities. Stronger levels of customer service. People work together better as teammates. Um, influence and lifted EI creates more connection, more collaboration, and, and stronger communication. You'll see increases in resilience. And so, well, what, what does that mean? Well, that means that people can weather the storm. People can weather changes more effectively. We see higher levels of retention, less absenteeism. And kind of the culmination, I think, of this bill is that organizations will see higher levels of engagement. You know, one of the strongest drivers of employee engagement is the influence of their leader. So if you can lift the leaders demonstrated an emotional intelligence, that's driving engagement. And I think that this is really kind of the spotlight area because in all of my years in working around psychometrics, I have never, Jeff and I have never had an organization say to us, no, Deb, you know what? We've got some people who are really highly engaged and that's great. It's okay if we have others who are disengaged or you know, kind of moderately engaged. Like, I, we got, we got some good people. We're good with that. Nobody ever says that. Every organization, every year, has lifted engagement as an initiative. And why is that? Well, because organizations know when you lift engagement. Circling back directly to your question, when you lift engagement, you get stronger productivity. You get higher profitability. The challenge, Bill, is that. Sometimes organizations want to just go out to their teams and say, hey, be engaged. And it doesn't work that way. Engagement comes from the way that we are treated in our workplace. So when you think about your best, as I think about my best, who we talked about a bit earlier, man, I'll tell you, I, I had to run through a brick wall for those people. I, my, if you were going to ask me to measure my engagement on a one to 10 scale, I'd have said 20. Because I felt valued and appreciated and heard. And as a result, I was so willing to give my discretionary effort, my ideas, my innovation. I told everybody how great that organization was. I was like recruiting people to come work for the organization. Um, and certainly conversely, in the other environments that you and I talked about, we see these dips in engagement. And if it's, if it's really a toxic environment, we'll see you know disengagement, this active moving but away from the, the team objective. So indeed, Capgemini Research Institute is really spot on in that lifting emotional intelligence while heavily influencing the culture and helping organizations become like employers of choice. It's also directly influencing the bottom line. People at their height of creativity, of solution focus, of collaboration, of connection and of engagement, people are at their height when they're in an environment, when they're around leaders and teammates who are like the best who you experienced it and the best who I got to experience.
Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. So what I'm hearing there is uh, if you can, if you can develop leaders, if you can train leaders uh, with, with the tools to improve their emotional uh, intelligence, then that rubs off on their people. And that leads to, for example, greater engagement levels. But does that mean that uh, emotional intelligence development and training is just for leaders, Debbie, or actually should everyone try and embrace this? Yeah, um, this is one of the things that's so powerful uh, about our process is that number one, Bill, it almost always lands in leadership first for all of the obvious reasons, right? Because the leader so heavily influences the rest of the team, right? And if you can enhance that leader's emotional intelligence, they're stronger in their effectiveness, they communicate more effectively, their teams respond more effectively, the people on their teams or in their departments feel heard and valued, they're more engaged. We can clearly see why there's such benefit there. Yet we at Genos also always put equal uh, value on enhancing the emotional intelligence of everyone in the organization. Because here's the thing, our contributors, contributors and organizations are the ones who typically are interfacing with communities, with customers, with clients or patients. They, they're the forward facing elements of the organization. So if you also are intentional about enhancing the emotional intelligence of everyone, not just the leaders, this has a bit of a compounding interest effect internally, because now everybody is, is um, moving toward communicating, connecting, and collaborating more effectively through kind of a common language. And also these contributors who are now the people answering the phone when it rings for the company, dealing with prospects, dealing with customers, dealing with patients if we're in healthcare, they're demonstrating higher workplace performance and more connectivity with the very people that the organization is serving. So absolutely it's powerful in leadership and absolutely it's powerful in contributorship. And the, the last, I'll just tie one thing together with that. Uh, there are two things that come from that. One, if contributors get a chance to start enhancing their emotional intelligence when they're in those contributors' roles, they're better positioned to step into leadership roles if they have the opportunity to do so. If they've been deemed a high potential or they want to find themselves in a leadership role, boy, that's a huge uh, element to already have those skills under their hat that they're working on when they step into leadership. Uh, secondly, it crafts this culture because the contributors are also in the process along with the leaders. So internally, we have this culture that's happening because those contributors are communicating and connecting with the community. And today there is a talent war because you're lifting the demonstration of emotional intelligence of contributors. They can be attracting talent to the organization and retaining that talent simply by how they're interfacing with their communities. And that's extremely exciting as we're in the great resignation. Awesome. Thank you. And um, I'm, I'm guessing as well that emotional intelligence training doesn't, yeah, the impact of that doesn't stop in one's work life with, with one's uh, relationships with colleagues, etc. Uh, it's something that will also feed into one's personal life and uh, improve one's personal life, one would hope as well. Is that is that fair to say? That is not only fair to say we would, uh, but since we are being recorded, normally I would say, hey, I wish I had recorded that, but we did. You are um, absolutely unequivocally correct. Uh, our personal lives and our professional lives have always been wound together. 
the last two and a half years, certainly people experienced that a whole lot more because for many people, their professional life got planted right in the middle of their personal life with everyone working from home or so many people working from home. But the reality is once you develop a set of skills that helps you to more effectively connect and communicate and collaborate, number one, you don't want to turn that off. And number two, it's kind of impossible to do so. You you can't kind of um, put that into a locker and then go home at night. Um, one of the beautiful collateral benefits of going through an emotional intelligence enhancement program at work is that people do take it home and they do find that they are better partners. They are better parents. They're better siblings. They're better friends. They're better community members. And in fact, Bill, one of the things that we get feedback when employees have been through uh, a Genos program is that they'll say things like, listen, yeah, sales and customer service are getting along a whole lot better now, or boy, our leaders are really communicating effectively with their teams. And that's great. But let me tell you about the conversation I had with my teenager, or let me tell you about a conversation that I just had with my mother-in-law, where that might have been a little bit difficult for me previously, but now I learned these skills and it has impacted my ability to be more productive in my relationships. So for that reason, Bill, our tagline is game-changing for business, life-changing for people. We're enhancing the ROI of an organization and of people's workplace performance, but boy, we are changing their ability in every relationship in their personal lives as well. And that is a big responsibility and a humbling responsibility and an exciting opportunity. Debbie, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but we are already coming towards the end of this interview. Before we wrap things up, how can our listeners connect with you? So maybe uh, you want to share your email address, LinkedIn details, whatever you want to do there. And also, of course, how can they learn more about Genos North America? Absolutely. And Bill, thank you. Firstly, you can go to our website, which is genosnorthamerica.com. And genos is G-E-N-O-S, genosnorthamerica.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Debbie Muno, M-U-N-O, or you can zip us off an email. And my email address is Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, dot Muno, M-U-N-O, at genosinternational, G-E-N-O-S, international.com. Um, and on our website or in a Zoom call that I'd be happy to, to schedule or join one of our webinars about once a month, Bill, we do just an informational webinar about the Genos certification program. I love talking to people about how can you implement this. So people who work inside of organizations, there's some training to properly and professionally and ethically utilize our assessments and our training programs. So whether you do work in an organization or folks who are independent coaches and consultants and trainers, they can take these uh, assessments and trainings out to their clients. Happy to talk about any and all of that. You can learn all about that on our website or certainly in a personal conversation with us. Awesome. Well, that just leaves me to say for today. Debbie Mono, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the of the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media. 